1: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Patrick Rodenbush, Communications Director for the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on.
2: Yeah. So, Patrick, what exactly is the NDRC? That's a good question. The NDRC uh, is an organization that was set up uh, in early 2017 to be the, the group within the Democratic Party to focus solely on redistricting. So the next round of redistricting will occur in 2021. We'll have our census in 2020. The redistricting will occur in the states in 2021. And uh, I think if you start from a baseline of what happened in 2011, the last round of redistricting has really affected our politics over the last eight years or so. And that's everything from the way people get elected and who gets elected to how they act once they're in office. So the NDRC was set up with the goal of making sure that unlike what happened in 2010 and 2011, uh, Democrats were prepared and ready uh, to ensure that we have fair, fair maps, fair districts uh, for the next uh, decade.
1: And what happened in the last redistricting cycle that makes an organization like the NDRC so important in the upcoming cycle?
2: You know, the way this Works is we we do the census every ten years, and then each state gets a certain number of seats for the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, What happened in 2010 was we had a a wave election. Uh, Republicans, you know, swept all these offices uh, across the country, Uh, and specifically, we're talking about uh, state and local offices. So, in most states, redistricting occurs. The state legislature uh, will pass new maps, and then they get signed by the governor. What happened in um, 2011? after the wave election in 2010 was in all of these, what are more or less swing states, you had Republicans who took control of both chambers of the state legislature and the governor's mansion. That's what we call a trifecta. You know, if you have trifecta control of a state government, you can sort of, one party can do whatever they'd like uh, to a certain extent. And so what happened in 2011 was all of these states, Wisconsin, Virginia, Texas, Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania, to a certain extent swing states, Republicans got into power. They redrew maps that were the worst partisan gerrymanders that we've seen in 50 years by some academic studies. And, and that means we've had instances in which just based solely on how these legislative lines are drawn, both at for the state legislature and for U.S. House seats, Republicans can win less than 50% of the vote, but still retain significant majorities in congressional delegations and state legislatures. And so I think the NDRC was created, um, as I said, in 2017, it was sort of the brainchild of President Obama, uh, Eric Holder, the Attorney General, who's our chairman now, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Terry McAuliffe. There's a few of uh, sort of leaders within the Democratic Party who saw what happened in 2010 and 2011 and said, we cannot allow this to happen again Uh, in 2020 when the census is done and in 2021 uh, when new maps get drawn.
1: And what did the results of the 2018 midterms mean for the next redistricting process? So they were good overall.
2: You you know, we had uh, this opportunity in 2018 to elect People who are elected to four-year terms in 2018 are the people who will be in office in 2021 who will redraw the maps. So if you sort of take a step back to what happened in 2011, as I was saying, where these places had Republican trifectas, we were able to break up Republican trifectas in states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, which means that at the very least, we'll have a Democrat uh, at, with a seat at the table when new maps get drawn uh, in 2021. And then the other thing that happened in 2018 that was really encouraging was a number of states, and not just blue states, but in some cases, red states, actually passed pretty significant redistricting reforms. Uh, so that was Michigan was probably the highest profile. They passed a Proposal 2, which creates an independent citizens commission to draw districts in 2021. Colorado passed a similar message, uh, a similar um, a um bill. And then uh, a state like Utah also passed one. They'll have an independent process in 2021. And then Missouri, which obviously is not what we would consider to be a blue state, passed a pretty uh, significant reform to how their state legislative lines will get drawn. And Ohio passed the ballot measure earlier this year uh, to reform the process. So that to me is very encouraging that there's now a growing awareness of people in the states uh, that redistricting really comes down to you know how our elections are run, who gets elected, uh, and it's a basic matter of fairness. And I think that in some of these states, what we've seen has been election results that don't match which party ends up in power. And people are starting to say that's not right and try to take that power and either reform it so we get a better process in 2021 or remove that power from the hands of state legislators and put it into a citizen-led commission, which is actually the process that we have now in uh, in uh, California in Arizona.
1: I'm glad you brought up Wisconsin and Michigan because there have been some pretty high profile power grabs by the lame duck session with the outgoing Republican governor stripping stripping power from the incoming Democratic governor and attorney general. Could
2: you walk us through that? Yeah, and this is a great this is a great point because this is what happens when you have gerrymandered state legislatures. Um, in Wisconsin and Michigan, and then actually a, a few other states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, what happened in 2018 was Democrats either won, if you add up all the votes for the state legislatures there, Democrats either won or basically split it, you know, 51-49. And because of Republican gerrymandering, Republicans were able to keep control of those legislatures. And what happens when the system is rigged that way is politicians do not feel Pressure from the public—you know—they know that they're going to be able to keep their majorities. Even in a year that was a blue wave, uh, they were able to keep their majorities, and so they feel freedom is maybe the wrong word, but they feel empowered to just do whatever they like, uh, which is what you've seen over the last few weeks in Michigan and Wisconsin. You have these state legislators and outgoing governors who um, know that they have basically rigged the system so that they will be able to keep control in the state legislatures. And they've taken these pretty egregious actions to strip the incoming governor of power, strip the incoming attorney general of power. Uh, And and we saw this play out actually in 2016 in North Carolina, when uh, Roy Cooper was elected to be the governor there, Democrat, and the legislature there did similar actions. So in some ways, what Michigan and Wisconsin are doing, they learned from what happened in North Carolina in 2016.
1: And is there any hope for yeah is there really any hope for this when the system is so rigged is there hope for the process in in the next redistricting cycle
2: yes absolutely i mean the important thing to to keep in mind is you know we're stuck with there's a whole well there's i'll start with this there's there's a whole yes there's a lot of reason for hope and the reason is this in michigan they're going to have an independent redistricting commission draw the lines which means that basically republican legislators there know that they're on borrowed time in Wisconsin the way the process works the republicans in the legislature will pass a map but then it will have to go to the governor for his signature with Tony Evers getting sworn in in January he will be there in 2021 I mean, you don't know how it'll play out but it, it seems likely that republicans in the legislature will try to or will pass another gerrymandered map but Evers will be there to veto it so then you know, either they, comp- they come to some sort of compromise or it ends up in the courts and then the courts will have to draw maps. And there's a whole process for that, too.
1: And what is that process?
2: Every state is somewhat different. But usually the process is if the two sides, you know, if the governor and the legislature can't come to an agreement, uh, what will happen is the court will appoint what's called a special master. And usually it's uh, a nonpartisan academic who has some sort of uh, background in mapping. and, and he, that person will come in and, and basically just draw a new map that is fair and nonpartisan and, you know, follows the, whatever the rules for each state are on how the maps need to get drawn. So this is what happened in Pennsylvania earlier this year. There was a lawsuit that was brought uh, in the state court uh, over the congressional map in Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania had been very gerrymandered for the past three election cycles. So 2012, 2014, and 2016. Republicans had held 13 of the 18 seats in the congressional delegation. And that's just like, when you think about Pennsylvania, that's just, that's not right. That doesn't match the makeup of the state. Uh, so what happened was a group, uh, a couple of groups, including NDRC got involved in this litigation at a certain point, brought a case to the state Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. And they found that the map violated the state constitution. So they ordered, the state court ordered the legislature to redraw the map in a fair way they did redraw the map but it wasn't fair so Tom Wolf who was the Democratic governor there never signed it at that point it went back into the court the court appointed a special master who then drew a map that is fair it's um it ended up being in this last election in 2018 Pennsylvania now has will have uh, in January nine democrats and nine republicans representing them in the US House of Representatives so that's that's sort of how the process can play out and we're going through this process now in North Carolina, uh, another state that's very badly under, And there's active litigation at both the federal court level and at the state court level um, that's moving forward. So hopefully we will be able to get new maps in place. before 2020.
1: And are there important elections in 2019 and 2020 non-presidential
2: that are going to have an impact on this process? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, next year, there are gubernatorial elections in uh, Louisiana and Kentucky there are state legislative elections in Virginia, uh, and then in 2020 there'll be a whole bunch of down ballot races uh, in a bunch of swing states that will make a pretty big difference in how the maps get drawn in in 2021. So that's states like Texas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Hampshire, uh, and these are all you know these are these are races that are state legislative races. They're pretty local races, um, and I think to be frank, maybe Democrats. Haven't been so good in the past at focusing on these races. We sort of get uh, obsessed with what's going on at the top of the ticket and who's running for president and who's going to be the senator. But these local races matter a great deal. Uh, they have enormous power over both the rules of the road and how maps get drawn, but they also affect sort of people's day to day lives. And you see in states that are very badly gerrymandered some of the worst, most backward legislation. So uh, I'll give you a couple examples of this. Texas is a state that it was actually the Democrats basically had control up until like the late going into 2010 of one of the chambers in the state legislature. Republicans win in 2010 and then they gerrymandered the state. And now Texas is a state that you think of as attacking uh, women's re- reproductive rights, of passing these really stringent and discriminatory voter ID laws. North Carolina is a state that, you know, uh, you remember the bathroom bill uh, a few years ago. Where it causes huge controversy, but because there was a gerrymandered legislature, they felt as though they could just do whatever they wanted. It ended up, you know, becoming an issue and getting into the courts. But that's sort of what happens at the. Those are the kinds of bills that really matter to people on a day-to-day basis in these states that come out of the state legislature. And I think Democrats now, the NDRC is certainly evidence of this, uh, are are starting to focus more on these state-level races than we had in the past.
0: I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us.
2: And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown.
0: Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show we we hear a lot
1: about bipartisanship it's a pretty typical talking point but we haven't really seen it coming from republicans do you think that there is any reason to trust that republicans will be participants in the
2: efforts to fairly redistrict in the next cycle well i mean that's a good question and and the answer is probably not but we'll we'll see i think One of the reasons why our politics have become so polarized is actually gerrymandering. When you draw these districts that are safe, that are created to give one party an advantage over the other, it creates a a disincentive to compromise. Like If you are representing a state, a district that is drawn with 60% Republican support baked in, you're more concerned about a primary challenge than colleagues across the aisle. Basically, like the incentive structure is all off and you are creating a process by which Republicans, you know, they have they have no benefit to, to compromising. To your point though, I think one of the things that NDRC is trying to create, and I think we're going to see a lot more of over the next few years, is public pressure on state legislators to draw a fair map. You know, we passed these ballot reform measures in five states in 2018. I think you'll see a few more of those uh, come up and be on the ballot in 2020. And those are really popular. In Michigan, you know, passed with more than 60% of the vote, including carrying a bunch of districts that were won by Bill Schuette, who is the, or the Republican nominee for governor. In Colorado, the ballot initiatives passed with 75, 72% of the vote. So I think when you put this to the voters, you know, this basic issue of can we have fair districts, should we have fair districts, it's overwhelmingly popular. It's just a matter of making sure that either you get a Democrat uh, or Democrats with a seat at the table when the maps are getting drawn, or you pass ballot reform measures that reform the process and make it so that you know there are rules uh, rules that they have to abide by.
1: And there's been a fair deal of controversy about how the Trump administration is handling the census. What are they doing with that right now?
2: Yeah, the thing that the thing that I think is has probably garnered the most attention uh, for, for obvious reasons or the right reasons is that they're trying to add a citizenship question to the census in 2020. Now, this hasn't been done on the long-form census since 1950. There is a process like every year the Census Bureau will send out some, uh, some you know, a questionnaire to people uh, to, to ask, and, and that is included on that. But on the long-form census that happens every 10 years... There's not been a citizenship question since 1950. There's a couple things at issue here. The first is that the reason that they stated for doing it is clearly not true. (laughs) They said, you know, the Census Bureau went to the Justice Department. Jeff Sessions at the time, when he was the Attorney General, said, we need this information so that we can enforce the Voting Rights Act, which... The Jeff Sessions-led Justice Department did not care about enforcing the voting rights. That, that was not a priority for them. Uh, so it's clear that they did not go through an actual real process by which they you know, did tests to see how a citizenship question would affect uh, response rates. They never did uh, any sort of the due diligence that you're supposed to do when you're in the government. Uh, it's pretty obvious that really this was a blatant attempt to suppress the count. Uh, Among communities of color, specifically Hispanic and Latino communities, uh, in a way that would then depress how many, you know, their representation. And the census, you know, people think about it in a couple different ways. You know, it affects each state how much how much um, political representation they have in the U.S. House of Representatives. It also determines how six hundred and seventy five billion dollars in federal money gets spent, Uh, and that's for things like healthcare and infrastructure. In education, you know the the government, Congress uses that data when they're distributing funds for programs in these communities. And so it's it's a pretty blatant attempt on their part, on the Trump administration's part, to rig the census in a way that they think will be favorable to Republicans moving forward. Uh, which is why there's now a handful of lawsuits uh, challenging them, and hopefully it will get taken off. Uh, taken off the uh, the questionnaire before it goes out in 2020. And that's actually something that the we have a, an affiliate, the National Redistricting Foundation, which is our the arm that we use for litigation. And uh, we are supporting a, a group of plaintiffs in a handful of states who will be affected by that. Uh, and that's moving forward to trial uh, early in 2019.
1: Could you tell us more about that arm of your organization?
2: Yeah. So the foundation is a 501c3. So it's a nonprofit. Basically, they are our litigation arm. And so part of... The way NDRC is attacking this problem is, you know, we try to elect Democrats, uh, in these key states. We support ballot reform initiatives. We try to garner some grassroots support in these states. And then the last is legal action. There's a lot of states in which, you know, the best course, uh, to get fair maps, as I was discussing earlier, is through court challenges. And so either there's, uh, cases to be made that in, in some states that, you know, partisan redistricting has infringed upon people's rights. And then, there are a lot of cases over what we call racial gerrymandering. So when uh, people of color get packed into districts or cracked to discriminate them based on uh, in ways that would uh, diminish their voting power. And so the National Redistricting Foundation is supporting active litigation now in Georgia, Louisiana, Alabama, North Carolina, and actually uh, we have a suit in Wisconsin as well, voting on a voting rights suit. That's sort of one of the prongs of our strategy uh, of going about. Trying to get fair maps,
1: and why is it that Republicans are so intent on suppressing <laughs> the vote of people of
2: color? Uh, you'd have to ask them. Uh, I think it's a, uh, you know, I, I don't know. The thing that uh, our chairman Eric Holder always says is, "What are what are Republicans afraid of? Why are they afraid of the the very voters they claim they want to represent? You know, what is it about them that that they're scared of having free, fair elections in which?" you know, the outcome is determined by a battle of ideas and not who drew the lines or who was able to pass a strict voter ID law. You know, you have one party that in a lot of states has basically taken the position that the fewer people that vote, the better. That's really not thats not the America I believe in. Uh, and I think most people agree with that. And how does this affect millennials and young people in particular? You know, this is a, a big reason why I, I'm here at the NDRC. I think previously worked in the Obama administration and, and saw uh, with sort of great frustration that we couldn't make progress on a lot of the issues that people cared about uh, and believed in. And, you know, we're broadly popular among the American people, like reducing gun violence, like taking action on climate change. Uh, and I think, you know, the thing it, it's sometimes hard to understand, but is really important is that because our elections right now are rigged by gerrymandering, it creates, as I was talking about earlier, you know, incentives to not compromise. And so you get this gridlock on these really big, important issues um, like like reproductive rights, like, you know, tackling the urgent crisis that is climate change in ways that are really frustrating and are really off-putting to a lot of people. You know, it sort of digs into that cynicism that people feel about government. But if we have, you know, fair elections, if we have fair districts, we can start electing more people who... Look like the people they represent, who believe in the same things as the people they're supposed to represent, uh, and then we can start, you know, tackling these big issues, like, you know, like I just mentioned, like climate change, like recent gun violence, and and it, the other thing is this lasts for a decade. You know, we only, you know, unless there's litigation or some, uh, you know, outstanding circumstance, maps get drawn in, you know, the year after the census, and then they're in place for ten years, and so. You know, we've had to deal with the repercussions of what happened in 2011 for the last, you know, seven eight years, and we're gonna, you know, be playing on those maps again in 2020. If we don't get this right in 2021, we're stuck for another decade on gerrymandered maps, on having people who are, you know, representing these very, you know, red districts, and they don't feel the incentive to compromise, and that's really bad. And it's really, it would be really frustrating. And so there is an urgency to this that we have to get it right uh, in 2021 to make progress on,
1: you know, these core issues. And what is the NDRC doing in particular to engage young people?
2: You know, we have a partnership with Organizing for Action, uh, and we have worked with Sister District and some of the other, um, you know, great progressive grassroots groups that have popped up over the past year. Uh, and the other thing that we've done a lot of is our chairman, Eric Holder has. Um, made it a priority to, you know, do some different kinds of media. So he went on like The Breakfast Club last year, uh, The Daily Show, uh, BuzzFeed. And he's visited quite a few college campuses, actually, um, to talk to people about this issue and to try to engage them on it um, in ways that maybe, you know, Democrats hadn't done in the past.
1: And what would you say that our listeners should do to take action on this issue?
2: Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'll plug our website, com. Uh, you can learn about how to get involved, sign up, uh, to get more information. And then the other thing is, just more broadly speaking, is every, every election matters and every race in that election matters and, and make sure that you are registered to vote and you go out there and you vote. Um, you know, it was encouraging to see, you know, high turnout in a lot of states in, in 2018 and the midterms. Um, and I think that's, you know, a reaction to what happened in 2016. But, We can't let this be a one, you know, a one election thing or a two election thing. You know, young people, millennials are the largest cohort of voters, but they don't vote like that. You know, you you know, there's like we are now the largest group of uh, Americans in the country and we could have enormous influence over our politics. But too many of us don't actually show up and vote. And that's really (laughs) frustrating. And so. At a very basic level, make sure you're registered. Make sure you get to the polls. Make sure you get your friends to the polls and vote in every election. Don't just show up when, uh, you know, there's a president at the top of the ticket. Show up in your school board elections. Show up for your state legislative elections. Make sure you get there and your vote uh, is cast and your voice is heard.
1: And lastly, where can folks find you online?
2: Uh, I am on Twitter. My handle is at PN Roddenbush, R-O-D-E-N-B-U-S-H.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and talking with us about this issue. And we hope to catch up with you in the future to see all the progress the organization has made and hopefully the progress we've made as a country and in the States.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: And lastly, to our listeners, make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and tune in to the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8pm Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.